Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Peter Schiff Show. As I am recording this podcast, all three U.S. major stock market indexes are registering new record highs. I'm not sure if they're going to retain those records into the close. You know, normally when I record my podcast, I do it later in the day after the markets close. But today I'm doing it earlier in the morning. I've got some travel plans later today, so I won't be able to record later. But I wanted to make sure I get one in because I may not do another one until the end of the week. One of the things, of course, that could derail all of the enthusiasm in the stock market would be if the Republicans are not able to deliver on the promised tax cuts. Now, of course, even if they are able to deliver, I think it's going to be a buy the rumor, sell the fact especially since the fact is not going to deliver what the rumor promises, which is a lot more economic growth. These tax cuts are not going to grow the economy because they do not shrink the size of government. Government continues to grow despite the tax cuts, meaning that government will have to find an alternative source of revenue, and that alternative source will be deficit spending and money printing, which will be negative for the economy And ultimately, negative for the markets. I mean, maybe not in the short run because money printing has not uh, proven to be a negative for the markets thus far. It will only be a negative when it backfires and the Federal Reserve loses control of the bond market and when it can no longer pretend that actual inflation does not exist. You know, when you look at the prospects for the tax cuts, I think the Senate is going to vote on Thursday. 
whether or not to pass its version. Of course, if it doesn't make it through the Senate, well, then it's, you know, done. You don't even, you know, that, of course, even if it makes it through the Senate, it needs to go through a reconciliation process so that the differences between the Senate and the House versions can be ironed out. And then they have to hope to get everybody to vote for the reconciled version, which again is no slam dunk. But apparently there's about six senators that are not fully on board uh, with these tax cuts that have expressed some reservations. So they have to get most of those six. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You know, one of the uh, more interesting discussions has to do with the fact that in the Senate's version, the individual tax cuts, most of them anyway, expire in the year 2025, right? And that's, so that's not even a full 10 years. What is that, like six, seven years from now, the tax cuts will expire? Now, why is that? Why are they making the individual tax cuts expire? And what's even worse, public relations, is that the corporate tax cuts are theoretically permanent because they don't come with a expiration date. And this is making for bad public relations on, you know, the talk shows. Oh, it's 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 permanent for the rich corporations, but it's only temporary for individuals. And it shows that by 2025, a lot of individuals who are getting tax cuts are actually going to end up paying higher taxes. Now, the way the Republicans are responding to this criticism just shows you how disingenuous this whole process is. The reason that the Senate has to make the individual tax cuts temporary is so that the bill does not increase the deficit by more than whatever it is, $1.4, 1500000000000 over these 10 years. So to do that, they had to make the individual tax cuts expire during those 10 years so that during the entire 10-year window, the deficit would go up by less than the amount that it needs to in order to be able to be approved in the process that it's going to be voted on. But at the same time, the senators are saying, oh, don't worry about the fact that these tax cuts are temporary because no future Congress is going to allow them to expire. So that in six years, when the temporary tax cuts are coming to an end, a future Senate and Congress and president will uh, pass legislation to prevent that from happening. So in other words, they're admitting that the whole thing is a sham because they're using the expiration period to make the impact on the deficit smaller. But they're saying, oh, it's really not going to make the deficit smaller because we're not going to allow the tax cuts to expire the way we've written it into the bill in order to be able to pass it. We are going to uh, cancel it, which means the whole thing is a farce. It means that the Senate's version of the bill adds much more to the deficit than what the senators are claiming in order to get the thing passed. So the whole thing, smoke and mirrors, and this is just more of an indication of how much smoke and mirrors is involved. But, you know, I've made this point before. No tax cuts are permanent. It doesn't matter what these guys say. A perfect example of that is the state of Illinois, right? In 2011, the state of Illinois reduced their personal income tax from 5% to 3.75%. It was a permanent reduction. Well, this year in 2017, they increased the tax back up from 3.75 to 4.95. So not quite back to 5%, right? Who are these guys fooling, right? 4.95, right? Not 5%. But so the permanent tax cut lasted all of six years. And now we're right back where we started 
And believe me, a few years from now, Illinois is going to have a rate that's going to be much higher than 5%. Why is that? Because while Illinois cut taxes, they didn't cut government spending. So government spending kept growing. And so in other words, those tax cuts were not really tax cuts. It was like putting your tax cut on your credit card. Because now Illinois taxpayers have to pay for all those tax cuts. It reminds me of those commercials where they say, you know, you can buy this entire living room set and you don't have to make any payments at all until January of 2019 or 2020. And then people run out and they buy their living room furniture because they don't have to make any payments. Sure, they don't have to make any payments for a few years and then they kick in. And what the furniture company is really doing is they're giving you a loan. And the payments don't start for a few years, but you still have to pay for all the furniture. You just have to pay even more for it because of the built-in financing costs. Well, that's exactly what Illinois did with the tax cut. They didn't cut taxes. They just said, hey, you can have all this government and you don't have to make any payments until 2017, right? It was all this free government, but the bill wasn't going to come for six years. And of course, it's going to be much bigger because... They're going to have to pay the interest on all the extra money that they had to borrow to make up for the fact that they cut taxes. And this is the same thing that's happening on a national scale when you have the Republicans promising all this tax relief to the middle class because they're broke and that they deserve it. They're not getting tax relief. They're just putting government on a credit card. They're buying government on layaway. They're getting all this government and they're not going to have to pay for it until who knows when. Because at some point during this next 10 years, I think long before 2025, these guys are going to have to vote to raise taxes. And if they don't vote to raise taxes, and if they don't vote to cut spending, and it seems to me that cutting spending is completely off the table. Because you can't even get Republicans, when they have the House and the Senate, to agree to cut government spending. Imagine if four years from now, the Democrats control the White House and Congress. Do you think they're going to cut spending? Not a chance, right? They're far more likely to raise taxes than to ever cut spending. And so if we don't increase taxes to try to rein in these out-of-control deficits, then the only alternative is massive money printing, which means the dollar is going to tank. And by the way, the dollar is already going down. It's down again today These are new lows for this move, not new lows for the year. The dollar index got down to 91, uh, I think, in September before the uh, tax cut related rally caused the dollar index to go back above 95. And also the near 100 percent probability that the Fed is going to hike rates in uh, in December. By the way, you know, that's not I don't think as certain an event as people think. If you look back at what the Fed you know, said last week, Janet Yellen's statement, you look at their minutes, you know, it doesn't sound like a Fed that is uh, getting ready to raise rates, even though they're going to do it. I mean, they're talking about how much they're concerned and worried about the fact that inflation isn't high enough, even though oil prices on Friday went above $59 a barrel, again, almost a two and a half year high. We closed just below 59 and we're pulling back today. We're back just below 58 Uh, so far today. But the trend is certainly up in in oil prices. And despite that, the Fed is talking about how they're worried that we're not going to have enough inflation. So that doesn't necessarily sound like a Fed getting ready to hike rates or maybe like a Fed that's going to hike rates one more time and then they're done. But I think the anticipation of that rate hike 
and the misunderstanding of how tax cuts would affect the dollar is why we had the original rally in the dollar. But the dollar is already losing steam and starting to decline, despite the fact that everybody believes the Fed is going to raise rates uh, in December, and despite the fact that everybody believes that we're going to get these tax cuts. So if we don't get the tax cuts and we don't get the rate hike in particular, I mean, the dollar would collapse, I think, if we don't get the December rate hike. But if we don't get the tax cuts, that's going to be negative for the stock market, which should also be negative for the dollar. But even if we do get the tax cuts, I think it'll be buy the rumor, sell the fact uh, for both the stock market and, and and the dollar. And, you know, if you remember, it was about three years ago, almost exactly three years ago, that we had that huge collapse in oil prices. Oil dropped precipitously, uh, you know, from above 70. And it had already been dropping from 170, but it dropped from 70 down below 30 very quickly. Uh, this was starting in November of 2014, and the rally went into early 2015. I remember the dollar index went from about 88 in November of 2014. Within four months, it was up to 100 in early 2015. So if you look at the charts right now, it looks like we could reverse that entire move. Right, We can have a melt up in oil and a melt down in the dollar that almost exactly reverses what happened three years ago when the dollar soared and oil collapsed at the same time. So those events could be shaping up right now, as well as the uh, the much overdue or long overdue breakout in the price of gold. You know, gold prices were up about 10 bucks uh, this morning, uh, 11 bucks. They pull back a little bit as I'm recording uh, this uh, gold's up about eight bucks. We're still hanging out below 1300, but just barely about 1296 and a half. We got up, I think, 1299. Didn't quite trade 13 this morning before it pulled back. Gold stocks, of course, still not moving. Very few people are willing to bet on gold these days. I mean, most people are very skeptical of this gold gold rally, but they're not at all skeptical of the rally in digital gold, Bitcoin, over the weekend. You know, the price of the cryptocurrency soaring, not quite hitting 10,000. Almost there. I think 9,700 and change uh, was the high on Bitcoin so far. Although, who knows? I mean, who knows? It could be above 10,000 by the time you listen to uh, this uh, this podcast. Now, of course, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of comments on this uh, podcast on my YouTube channel about how I've been wrong on Bitcoin. In fact, I get these comments on every YouTube video I post, whether I even mention Bitcoin or not. Almost all the comments are making fun of me because I was wrong about Bitcoin. Look, I never said Bitcoin couldn't go to 10,000. I've said it can go a lot higher than 10,000. I've said that Bitcoin could well end up being the biggest bubble in the history of bubbles. So the fact that it's going up doesn't mean that I'm wrong. Now, was I wrong a few years ago in underestimating how big the bubble can get? Sure. Right? Could I have personally made a lot of money if I bought a bunch of Bitcoin and sold them? Yeah, of course. But that doesn't mean that I'm wrong about the fact that Bitcoin is a bubble or that Bitcoin is not going to work as money. I'm as confident as ever that it's not going to work as money. In fact, we now have a lot of people who are buying Bitcoin who admit that it's not going to work as money, but they're buying it anyway. Look, this is one massive speculative bubble. You know, I read this article Last week, I think they did a survey of people who own Bitcoin, and they asked them, at what price were you going to sell all your Bitcoin? And I think the average response was just under $200,000 per Bitcoin. Now, that is incredible optimism 
on the part of owners of Bitcoin. Now, this, this survey didn't necessarily say, you know, when will you sell some of your Bitcoin? It's when are you going to sell all your Bitcoin? But I think there's a pretty good chance that the people who think Bitcoin is going all the way to 200,000 are selling as little Bitcoin as they can possibly get away with. Because after all, if it's going to 200,000, why would you want to sell it at 10,000? That's still 20 times what it is right now. Now, I remember during the height of the real estate bubble in California, I read a survey, which I used to talk about, where they surveyed California home buyers. And the average rate of appreciation that people buying homes in California expected over the next 10 years was 20% a year, which basically meant people buying a house and they were paying, what, 500000 for the house. They thought it would be worth like $1.5 in 10 years. They basically expected the price of a house to triple over a 10-year time period, which I thought was completely crazy, but it was why so many people wanted to buy them, why so many people were willing to lie on their mortgages, why they were willing to commit so much of their income to buying a house because they assumed that most of their income would come from the house, that it didn't matter what they earned in their jobs. They just had to get into a house because they were going to earn so much more by owning a house, right? If you thought a house was going to go from 500000 to $1.1 million in 10 years, that was a million dollars that you were going to earn, 100000 a year that you would have an in income just by owning a house. I mean, so if you only earned 50000 a year on your job, I mean, you could triple your income just by buying a house. So, of course, you were going to do whatever you had to do to get that mortgage. And I, I commented on how that ridiculous amount of optimism was indicative of a bubble at the top. And that's kind of the same thing that we have here with Bitcoin, where you have people who believe that the price can go up so much, right? That's why you have so little interest in selling, because nobody wants to be the guy who sold Bitcoin when it's going so high. Now, I'm looking at the cryptocurrencies now, and the combined market cap of all the cryptocurrencies now for the first time is over $300 billion. Now, I remember talking about it on a prior podcast where Bitcoin was losing market share. It had gone down to about 45% of the total value of all the cryptocurrencies. That has reversed. Bitcoin is now regaining some of the market share it lost. It's up back now to about 54%. Just looking at Bitcoin is 163 billion in, in market cap out of 300 billion. But it's actually more than that because look at Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is about $28 billion all by itself. Bitcoin Cash was forked out of Bitcoin, right? Everybody that owned a Bitcoin now owns two. They own one Bitcoin. They own one Bitcoin Cash, assuming they, they didn't sell it, right? And that by itself is $28 billion. Now, look at Bitcoin Gold. This thing just spun off, what, a week or two ago? Bitcoin Gold is up 180%. In the last seven days, it's now worth $6 billion all by itself. And of course, there's just as many Bitcoin gold as there is Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin. But if you add up Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin, that's about 65% now of the value of all the cryptocurrencies. In fact, if the total value of Bitcoin gold and Bitcoin cash were into Bitcoin, right? If it had never had the fork, yet maintained the same market value, Bitcoin's price now would be close to 12000 It would be well over 10000 if you add them all up, which is another thing that shows this idea of this constraint, this limited uh, quantity, 21 million Bitcoins. That's all there can ever be. That's all nonsense because now 
There's 63 million if you count Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Bitcoin Gold. Yeah, they're slightly different, right? They might have a little bit different properties, but they're basically the same thing, right? I mean, they're, they're various versions of Bitcoin. And as I mentioned before, what about Bitcoin Silver? What about Bitcoin Platinum? What about Bitcoin Copper? What about Bitcoin Premium? What about Bitcoin Plus? I mean, there's no end to the number of Bitcoin spinoffs that can be created off of the same Bitcoin. And so this is an unlimited number of Bitcoins that can be out there in addition to the unlimited number of cryptocurrencies. There's now better than 1,300 uh, cryptocurrencies. I mean, the supply is probably growing daily. And if you look at how some of them are doing, I mean, Bitcoin isn't even the top performer. There are a lot of other uh, currencies that have been going up faster. Now, of course, in total, other currencies have been going up more slowly because Bitcoin has been gaining market share. But there are other tokens that have been gaining even more market share because obviously they're starting from a smaller base and they're going and they're going up. But this is this whole thing is a is a huge mania. And, you know, I mentioned this uh, just on you know recent podcast, the whole the new PR campaign, which is trying to sucker in. A lot of the institutional money, although it's a lot of retailers. I read that Coinbase opened up like a hundred thousand uh, accounts over the over the holiday weekend. Uh, they've got now Coinbase now has more accounts than Charles Schwab. So obviously, it's already moved into a retail frenzy, uh, which you know could show that we're late in the bubble because I, I was thinking that the institutions were going to get in and then maybe the the retail guys would get in. But it looks like the retail guys and the institutions are jumping in together at the same time. So maybe this is accelerating the end of this thing, but who knows, you know, how much higher this euphoric state can rise. But I pointed out that the marketing campaign about Bitcoin being digital gold uh, could have some legs. But to me, it's, it, it just shows you how ridiculous it is. Because if you go back, the early adopters of of bitcoin and i know what these guys were saying because you know i was talking to these guys five six seven years ago you know down at the beginning and the main selling point of bitcoin was that hey it's just like gold except you can use it to buy stuff you can use your bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee and you can't do that with gold right it had all the properties of gold fungibility durability uniformity portability, divisibility, you know, all these characteristics that made gold uniquely suited to be money. Hey, Bitcoin had them all, except it was easier to use in commerce, right? And of course, my problem was, yeah, it has all those properties, but not the most important property, which was the intrinsic value of the metal itself, that gold has actual uses apart from its use as money, but all these other qualities made it ideal money, made it better money than any other commodity. And of course, Bitcoin... Uh, failed as a commodity, so I didn't think it could be money. But the Bitcoin guys were saying, well, you know, we don't care about that. That value is subjective. It doesn't mean anything. The key is that, you know, gold is inconvenient to use as commerce. You can't buy a cup of coffee with gold, but you can buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. Now, everybody says, well, you know, you can't buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin either. It's too expensive. It's too slow. Bitcoin is not about digital currency. It's actually digital gold. So in other words, digital gold now has the same flaw that actual gold had. And the, the basis for hold, holding Bitcoin is simply as a store of value. It's as an investment. It's as an alternative to gold. It's not as an alternative to money. It's an alternative to gold. 
But the reason that gold was supposedly no good was that you couldn't use it to buy a cup of coffee. And now you can't use Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee either, but somehow it's better than gold. It's not. I mean, if you want gold, buy actual gold. Don't take some cheap digital substitute. And here is the ultimate irony. Using companies like Gold Money, which I've talked about a lot, you can actually use gold to buy a cup of coffee. You can actually do with gold what people used to be able to do with Bitcoin but can't. Right, So the very reason that Bitcoin was supposedly better than gold doesn't exist anymore. And in fact, gold can actually deliver on the promise of Bitcoin, the original promise of Bitcoin, better than Bitcoin can now. But of course, what people are saying is, well, it's going to be some other digital currency that's going to be able to do what we told you Bitcoin was going to be able to do. But Bitcoin is just going to be this this, this safe haven. It's going to be the digital currency that you hold on to, not the digital currency that you spend. That's going to be some other digital currency, and we're not really sure which one that's going to be. But this is all what is fueling the frenzy, what is fueling the mania, and it, you know, as I said, it could certainly go on. Nobody knows exactly how big the bubble is going to be. But the fact that it is a bubble, I am 100% certain that that is in fact the case. I mean, it has all the characteristics that I've ever seen about ever any bubble that I've ever studied, including the fact that everybody who is buying it has a reason why this time it's different. Why, why this is not a bubble, because it's a new technology, because it's this, because it's that, right? But that's always what they say when there's a bubble. And the people who are profiting from it, you know, never recognize it until after it's too late. And all they do is they make fun of the people who don't own it because they don't get it, right? They're not smart. They don't understand. And, you know, it's the same thing. Also, I forgot to mention when I come to the markets, shares of Amazon are hitting a new all-time record high again today up about 1.5%. This is on the back of stronger-than-expected uh, Black Friday sales. Apparently, all-time record consumers were out in force uh, shopping on the Internet. Also, from what I've heard, the brick-and-mortar traffic wasn't down as much. I thought they were saying it was down maybe about 1% from where it was last year, and I think people are relieved that it wasn't any worse. Now, we don't have all the exact numbers, uh, so apparently... Uh, there was a lot of spending on uh, on Black Friday. But what does that mean? That means there was a lot of borrowing. Right? We know that consumers don't have money. They have lousy jobs. The savings rate has already been plunging to reflect the fact that people don't have money and they have to drain down what little savings they have left to make ends meet. So if they had a, a, a burst of spending this, uh, this Black Friday, where the money come from, it was either pulled out of savings or it was borrowed outright. So we'll wait and see what happens uh, uh, with, with credit card debt the next time uh, The next time we see that. I want to finish up the podcast, though, by talking a little bit more about Senator Al Franken. You know, I noticed that there were a lot of uh, comments uh, related to my Franken discussion uh, last, uh, last podcast. Uh, Franken-Fed was the title. Actually, it was I like that title because I got to get Frankenstein and uh, Al Franken covered in the same uh, in the same uh, YouTube title. But, you know, no sooner had I recorded that podcast, even before it was posted, but after I finished recording it, I went online and I noticed that two more women had come out and accused Al Franken of, of grabbing their ass. You know, t- these are two brand new women and similar circumstances in that it was during a photo op. 
that, that, that he did this. And Al Franken apologized again. In fact, if you ask me, Al Franken's entire apology is half-assed, but very disingenuous apology because he's not saying, I'm sorry, you know, for grabbing your ass. He's apologizing if his affection offended everybody. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an affectionate guy. I'm a huggy guy, you know, and, you know, maybe, you know, people misinterpreted, you know, where my hand was, or maybe I accidentally, you know, put my hand, you know, a little lower than I intended. So I'm sorry if, you know, if I, you know, if I came across the wrong way. So he's not even admitting that he actually did it on purpose. He, he's just, you know, he's just apologizing in case something that he did inadvertently might have been misinterpreted uh, by these women, which, you know, if you're going to apologize, I mean, look, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I don't know that there's any way that you're going to accidentally put your hand on, on, on a woman's butt. I mean, it, I mean, you could maybe brush against it accidentally, but, but, but cup onto it, you know, take, feel, grab it. I mean, nobody is going to mistake a back uh, for a butt. So if he, if he's got his hand there, he probably intended to do it. And, you know, so rather than, you know, claiming that it was an accident or something, you know, to me, it would be more, uh, you know, honest to actually, you know, say, oh, I was I was out of line and I, and I apologize for that. Uh, you know, and again, he has uh, posed probably he mentioned he posed with maybe 10,000 photographs. I'm sure half of those are with women and most of them he probably didn't touch their butt. Right. So if he was accidentally touching people's butts, there'd probably be a lot more people that would have remember it if he had a habit of doing that. So I'm sure that on occasion that he did it, I mean, he probably did it for a reason. In fact, one of the women actually said that after uh, Al Franken grabbed her ass, that then he invited her to the men's room. Now, <laughs> clearly, he had something going on there, right? I mean, maybe maybe this is the way, you know, Al Franken operates. Maybe this is this is his game. He thinks this is how to seduce a woman, right? Al Franken, number one, grab their ass, and if they don't complain, invite them to the men's room. I mean, that's maybe that's his strategy. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think that's a good way to try to, you know, go about getting women. But, I mean, I don't know. Al, Al, I mean, I disagree with Al Franken on a lot of things. So maybe I disagree with his approach uh, to women. But... Who knows what else was said in that conversation that made Al Franken think it was okay to put his hand on that on that woman's ass? We don't know. You know, I mean, Al Franken may not even remember it. But, you know, when you read all of the the coverage of the story, like, oh, my God, he grabbed he grabbed his women and he didn't have permission. This is an unwanted sexual advance as if, you know, it is never appropriate for a guy to put his hand on a woman's ass unless he's got her permission to do so. And that is complete nonsense. I mean, it all depends on the circumstances uh, surrounding it. I mean, think about, I mean, think about dancing, right? I mean, here's just an example where I think it's okay, right? A lot, let's say a guy is in a dance club and he asks a, a woman to dance, right? I mean, maybe he asks a woman to dance and the music is fast and then it slows down uh, and she stays up there for a slow song. Or maybe the guy actually walks up to a woman on a slow song and asks her to dance. That's even a bigger move to do that. And the woman says, yeah, I'd like to dance with you to this slow song. 
Now, I mean, is that an engraved invitation to grab her ass? No. You know, but obviously any guy who is slow dancing with a woman, I mean, this is this is part of the process, right? Everybody wants to get their hand. Every guy wants to figure out how to get his hand from the nap of her back down to her ass, right? I mean, that's slow dancing 101, right? And so, you know, you're not going to get permission, right? Even if the woman wants the guy to put his hand on her ass, she's not going to come out and say that, right? The guy's got to figure it out on his own. This is whole part of the process, right? I mean, I mean, it's not science. I mean, maybe it's a bit of an art, but maybe the guy's got to move his hand down slowly and just kind of gauge the, the temperature, the way she reacts to that. Or I don't know, maybe he can kiss her on the neck and, and see if, if how she responds to that. And maybe, okay, that's all right. I'm going to go for the hand. I mean, this is how men and women interact. Now, if the woman doesn't like it after the fact, she can certainly let the guy know that what he's doing with his hand is not acceptable, right? She could tell him right then and there, hey, cut it out, right? That That is what these women should have done, right? If if uh, Al Franken puts his hand on a woman's ass, she should put him in his place right then and there, not 10 years later, right? You don't, you don't wait. I mean, if <laughs> I could imagine now women, hey, I remember dancing with that guy 20 years ago. He put his hand on my ass. I remember that. Let me call up a newspaper. Right. Oh, that guy's in the Senate now. That guy's got a prominent position. Oh, let me let me let me call up a reporter because I remember that time that that guy grabbed my ass on the dance floor. I didn't you know, I didn't give him permission. Right. This whole stuff is a bunch of nonsense. These guys are getting in trouble, not because they've harassed women. Right. This is not we've gone from, you know, you know, I was sexually harassed on the job. Right. Where I was in this environment where my job was on the line, where I didn't want to get fired, or I, this, I, I was told if I didn't do this, I couldn't get promoted, to just interactions between men and women where a grown man, you know, for some reason puts his hand on a grown woman's ass, and all of a sudden, you know, the guy should resign from the U.S. Senate. And the guy's got to make up lies and excuses as to why he did it. Why can't he just say, Oh, yeah, you know, I, I like this woman. That's why I did it. You know, I was hoping that, you know, she would go to the men's room with me. Now, of course, maybe the guy was mad. He probably was married at the time. So, you know, it pro- it's probably not something that he could easily admit to because then he would have to admit that he was trying to cheat on his wife. So I can understand uh, why he wouldn't want to say that. But that's not what the discussions are all about. It's all about the inappropriateness of this unwanted sexual aggression. I mean, the epitome of it was probably what happened with George Bush Sr., right? Because there's one or two women have come out and said that George Bush Sr. grabbed their ass. And and he did. He admitted it. He did. But, I mean, the guy is 93 years old. In fact, I just read he is now the president who has lived to the oldest age, right? No president has been alive or lived as long as, as George Bush. He's had a record. But he's been in a wheelchair, for the last uh, four or five years. And so a woman came out and said, yeah, he, he from his wheelchair, he reached up and, and, and he grabbed her butt. But the reason he did that, he was telling a joke. And I guess this is his joke, and he's probably told it a number of times. He asked the woman, do you know the name of my favorite book? And the answer is David Copperfield. And when he says Copperfield, he cops a feel. Now, I mean, look, if... A 30-year-old guy did something like that. Okay, that's, you know, that's really wrong. But I mean, 93, 94-year-old guy, I mean, most women would probably think that was cute. 
oh, dirty old man. Oh, look, he, he's still got it. He's still, you know, he's still got a, you know, he's still got a sex drive. I mean, you know, go, go to one of these old age homes, you know, see what, see how, see how these old guys handle, uh, handle these nurses. I mean, see the stuff they say. I mean, as they get older, a lot of these inhibitions go away too. A lot of the filters go away. And the one thing they can still remember is, is sex. And that, and so they, that this is what happens to old guys. It is no big deal uh, that, that this stuff happens. And is it, is it really that shocking? I mean, women make it out like they, you know, somebody grabbed their butt is the equivalent to having been raped. I mean, it is not that big a deal. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, I've had guys grab my butt, right? I mean, not that often. I mean, I, you know, and when I was younger and I lived in LA, I mean, I've had that happen. I, you know, I, I had been even in gay bars, you know, when I was younger up in, I went to school in Berkeley up in, uh, up in San Francisco. I used to, and sometimes I used to actually go on purpose to gay bars. I used to thought it was an interesting way to meet women. I mean, that was, you know, another angle, not that I only went to gay bars, but I thought, Hey, you know, if I'm in a gay bar and maybe the women will have their guard down, they won't realize that, you know, they, they might think I'm gay and I can, you know, you know, let them think that maybe they can turn me around. They can, they can reform me. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it was just, you know, it was fun sometimes to go to these bars. And yes, yeah, sometimes a guy would come up and pinch me or grab my butt. I mean, wasn't that? I mean, it's not like I enjoyed it, but it's not like I, I, I felt like, oh, my God, I'm going to need therapy or something. Like it was the end of my life. Like somebody came up to me and, you know, and grabbed my butt. Uh, so I've experienced it. And, you know, is it appropriate? No. I mean, you, should you do it? No. Am I going to tell my son to go around and grab? No. But you know what? If he's on the dance floor and he's slow dancing with a girl, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to expect him to ask her permission uh, to do that. I mean, that is part of courtship. That is the interaction between men and women. And I mentioned this on my last podcast, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on the way the case may be, the man is the aggressor. The man is the guy or the one who is supposed to make the first move on pretty much all occasions. And so this is going to happen, right? Yes, Al Franken was probably attracted to some of these women. And, you know, this, you know, did he go about it the wrong way? Could he have had a smoother way of, of uh, you know, if he was attracted to this woman than grabbing her ass and inviting her to the men's room? Yeah, I think, I think they're, you know, I think he could have gone about it in a different way. But this is not, uh, something that should cost him his Senate seat. This should not be, you know, uh, discussed. I should not be reading all of these articles about such a trivial thing when so many real problems are 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 confronting us. I mean, the only reason I'm pointing it out is to show how ridiculous it is. That's the only reason I'm talking about it. Uh, but the media, they take this stuff seriously. They think this is a big issue. I mean, women have a lot more to worry about. Right. We are on the verge of a major economic collapse that's going to affect men and women in a profound way. Yet well, this is what we're focused on. This is what the media cares about. I mean, talk about everybody fiddling just as Rome is really about to burn.